As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, This Is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. Introducing your hosts, the multi-time world champion, Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. And the golden voice of drag racing, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. This is the way you live. Banging on the door, bump, bump, bump until I get it in. Attitude like I am already winning in. Foot breaking in anything. Bottom ball before a 10, I'm rolling in the cutty switch. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. Thank you for finding us wherever you find your podcast and allowing us to be a small part of your day. The Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast will be a weekly review of what's happening or what has happened in sportsman racing. Luke and I will be talking about all of the hottest topics, drivers, and events in racing today. Luke, what's going on, bud? Man, not a whole lot. Just uh, touched ground back in the, in the U.S. late last night. My wife and I have... Uh, have been drinking out of a coconut for the last six days, so today was a little <laughs> bit of a reality check, but it's it's been nice. How about you? Oh, man, couldn't be better. Uh, you know, just same old, same old for me, just uh, working and playing uh, bench racing, waiting on good things to happen, all these um, practice tree races and all this good stuff happening, so looking forward to a, a winter off, but still staying involved in the, the sport I love. Yeah, no doubt. We've got uh, PRI coming up this weekend. I don't know if you're headed that direction. I'm going to sit it out this year, but I know a lot of our uh, listeners, both inside and outside the industry, will be spending the weekend in Indianapolis. So those of you headed that way or there as you're listening to this, uh, enjoy. Yeah, the PRI show is uh, something I don't really get to be involved in very much. Uh, vacation schedule is difficult for me and you know, trying to work and get to all the races that I need to get to during the year eats that up. So I'm a guy that misses it, but uh, I truly do miss it. It looks like a good time and a lot of great things happening up there in Indy this year that I'll miss once again, but all my buddies will 
report back and let me know what's happening. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Um, just kind of looking back now, it's been a week since, uh, roughly, since we dropped the first uh, three episodes of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, and what a incredible launch. The, the feedback and reception from all of you listeners. Jed, I don't know if you looked at the numbers, the first three episodes, we've had 7,500 plus downloads. Um, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, uh, that's a... That definitely exceeds my wildest expectations. <laughs> There's words for that, but I, I can't say it on this podcast. Yeah, so. so whether you're listening to us at work or in your car or doing your workout or got us playing on the speakers while you're working on your car in the shop whatever however whenever you're consuming this podcast thank you so much for letting us just be a small part of your day and thank you for all we've had a ton of positive feedback through texts and facebook messages and on our facebook page and we've had some great constructive criticism as well and that's probably even more important because obviously Last week was the first time that we'd done this. We're learning on the fly. I think the biggest issue that we had, which if this is the biggest issue we had, we're doing fine. But uh, <laughs> we, I had flipped a switch somehow in the, the editing software and had it on, I think, mono rather than stereo. So those of you that were like, especially it was noticeable when you're listening through earbuds, Jed might have been in your right ear and I was in your left and vice versa. We should have that problem remedied with this issue, uh, with this episode and going forward. But thank you for the handful of you that, that uh, brought that to our attention because honestly, um, I probably wouldn't have listened on earbuds myself and like listening on my computer. I didn't even realize that that was an issue. So if... <laughs> yeah, and they were so nice about it. Like, <laughs> they were. <laughs> they, they didn't want to say, "Hey, Jed," or "Hey, Luke, this really sucks." Uh, they 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 brought it to our attention really nicely. So thank y'all so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and just kind of on the whole, like on one hand, it's awesome, and it is. It's awesome, and it's humbling to have so many. Um, racers and and fans that are supporting this and listening to it and actually enjoy what we have to say um but on the other hand like i don't know about you man i I gotta admit that's uh it's a little bit intimidating last week i really kind of had it in my mind that like a handful of my close friends might listen to this my mom would probably listen to it um (laughs) you know but outside of that like i don't really feel like i was talking to anybody i'd probably have a hard time talking my wife into listening and to this point she has not listened to one of the first three episodes just for the record um (laughs) but now that i know that we're in the ear of literally like thousands of racers and fans people interested in the sport interested in our sport as cool as that is i got to admit like i wasn't this nervous last week now i know what we're getting into this is a little bit intimidating oh yeah thanks a lot Uh, (laughs) i I had no idea that that many people are listening and you know, although I'm a little nervous by that stat, 7,500 plus downloads is incredible. Um, I, I will be a little more nervous if that number doesn't continue to grow. Um, you know, maybe that wasn't the expectation, but our listeners have set the bar high and we want that bar to keep being raised. So again, just like Luke said, thank you everybody that's tuning in. Uh, we can't thank you enough. And whether you just started listening today or you've heard every episode we appreciate you taking some time to join us and certainly want to invite everybody to subscribe on itunes uh, find us on stitcher and or google play you know just subscribing to one of these or all of these you know get you notifications of new episodes and uh, you'll be able to catch the show just as soon as it's released 
Yeah, and on top of that, be sure to uh, to follow us on Facebook at the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Um, it's the quickest way to stay up to date as to what we're doing on the podcast and when new episodes are released. Um, in fact, we need your help on Facebook this week. We are looking for listener input on an upcoming show. Um, awesome alert right here. This is going to be cool. Yeah, this is going to be fun. This is something we, we dreamt up back a couple of months ago, really. Um, but Jared and I, we've been around racing to realize that everybody thinks that their home track or their division or their region or their state has the baddest racers anywhere. And I believe me, I've been that guy. Um, but I mean, how often have you heard, you know, if you can win it, insert name drag, name of your racetrack here. If you can win here, if you can win anywhere. Every racer yeah. at every track in the country thinks that. But our question is this, which state truly has the best racers and what we're basically asking is for each of you to compile your own all-state team so to speak for the state that you live in okay so we're going to take your home state all of the selections all the drivers that you pick to be on your team for that state obviously have to live in your state we're going to ask you to pick one dragster bracket driver one door car bracket driver top bulb one bottom bulber or foot breaker one, um, I guess you'd say 90 or super class driver, 899, 90, 1 stock or super stock driver, and one that we'll just we'll, um, label as a utility driver. Kind of like you've got a utility baseball player that can just kind of, you could fit in at any position if somebody gets hurt or you can play them anywhere on the field. That's what we're thinking of with your utility driver. It may actually be your most talented driver in your state. It's the guy that could jump in yeah. any car or any class and win or at the very least be competitive. So that's what we're looking for, six different drivers. Um, and you've got to have six different names. Like just because you live in New York, you can't have Peter Biondo in all six classes, okay? <laughs> like that would obviously be the team that beats everybody. Um, <laughs> you you got to pick one spot to put him on the list, whether you think that that's the, the spot that is most in his wheelhouse or – um, just where he would fit in the best with your team. But you have six different drivers, one for each. So I, uh, I realized we're, we kind of put, put each other under the gun here because we thought it would be best to uh, give examples for, for teams. So we didn't put a whole lot of thought into this. So like I've got my Illinois team, but literally I drew this up about an hour ago. So if I left somebody off, um, like, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll <laughs> think about this a little bit more, but I think my team's pretty solid. So if I were to pick this for the state of Illinois, just off the top of my head, my dragster bracket driver, I'll go with Brian Folk. Um, for door car driver, I'll take Andrew D. Piazza. Um, bottom bulb footbreaker, give me Brett Williamson. I'll go ahead and insert myself in as the, as the 90 driver. I'll put Nick Folk in our stock super stock. And for my utility, the guy that can do anything, the guy that we talked about last week in episode one, uh, the guy that can drive it, top bulb, bottom bulb, middle bulb, uh, or ride it, motorcycle, uh, I'll go with Chad Isley as my utility guy for, for Team Illinois. So that's my Team Illinois that I would draw up just quickly. And if you're from Illinois and you've got a better team, share it with us on Facebook, okay? We'll take these and, Absolutely. and basically in a future episode kind of debate uh, team versus team we'll probably depending on how much uh, response we get we'll either take the the eight teams that stand out to us or the 16 or maybe the 32 and then we'll kind of have a little uh, eliminator just in commentary so it'll be yeah. it'll be a fun show how about you Jed what about an, an Alabama team I'll put you on the spot since we did since I put myself on the spot 
Well, I have to give this a little thought, and I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but, um, you know, I, I put a team together as well. And if you win in Alabama, you can win anywhere, Luke. I don't know if you know that or not. but uh, <laughs> That's what I hear. My team would cave anybody's team's head in, so we'll come out on top no matter what. But my Alabama team, top bulb dragster, would be Timmy Smith. Um, top bulb door car would be Todd Bones Ewing. Uh, foot brake, no box, uh, no doubt about it, it's Adam Davis. Uh, super category would be Brad Plourd. Uh, super stock and stock would be my man, Little Strick, Jeff Strickland. And my utility driver is a guy that, you know, he could probably show up and get in your car second round and make a better run than you can um, <laughs> if, if you just talk to him just a minute and get him settled down, put him where he needs to be, and that's Hugh Meeks. Uh, Julio is definitely a, a utility guy that is just capable of bottom bulb, top bulb, pro tree, whatever. Yeah, I think he was probably best known for his top bulb bracket racing exploits, but he did win a Super Stock World Championship, and he I sure believe did. he went to five divisional events that year, which pretty much means that you just won everywhere you went. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was uh, definitely a great season for him, but uh, he's just, I mean, he's a guy that's capable of that. Again, I think he could, if he was in a Super Stock car today, I think he would go out there and be just as competitive. Yeah, I don't have any doubt about that. But like I say, don't uh, <clears throat> don't take our word for it. If you're uh, an Illinois resident or an Alabama resident, and you think you got a better team, share it. If you are a uh, I don't know North Carolina or Connecticut or Idaho resident, you probably are convinced that you have a better team than what we just put forward because that's just <laughs> natural. I think. Tell us your team. We'll talk about it in an upcoming episode. It'll be a lot of fun. Absolutely, and you know let's. Uh, Let's get to today's topic, Luke. Let's talk a little bit about what we want to discuss today, and, and this is going to be very interesting uh, to me from both uh, a promoter and a racer side. But today's topic is big buck bracket racing. You know, it's an arena that, that both of us are very familiar with. Um, you know, we we put them on, we race in them, um, follow them forever. So, you know, we've each got our perspective from each side, the payout window. Um, giving it and taking it so you know in addition to our perspective we'll be joined later in the program by a man big nasty uh kyle seipel um you know he's uh in addition to being a successful racer himself a very successful one at that in his own right he's probably most recognized for his affiliation with the spring fling event team and, and peter biondo so you know kyle's gonna have some good insight for us and look forward to speaking with him soon yeah, super excited to have Kyle on with us. Uh, if nothing else, he is a very entertaining interview, so I look forward to <laughs> to that. That's no doubt. Um, I think the biggest story um, as we kind of start to prepare for 2017 and on the big dollar bracket scene is kind of a continuation of what's become a story for the last couple of years. It's just this huge influx of big events, and I'm not talking like we used to think of big dollar bracket races as like three ten granders i'm talking big big events it, it wasn't long yeah. ago that to race for a purse of fifty thousand dollars or more you could count on one hand the number of times that you got to do that each season like there was always the 50 grander at, uh, at mid michigan there's always been the million i think it's been around long enough now that it feels like races like the the ultimate 64 and the uh, the Great American Bracket Race in Memphis kind of are are not new kids on the block. Like those are established events that have been around for a long time, but right. that's just five races. Um, 
now we've basically all of a sudden within the last two years we essentially have three millions like there's the million dollar race there's the spring fling million which uh which uh, the inaugural version was last year in Vegas, and in 2017 there's going to be the uh, the Powerball event, which is doesn't have the name million in, or it doesn't include the word million anywhere in the name, but it's guaranteed 375 grand to win, which is I think more than the millions ever paid. Um, yep. And then just of the 50 granders now, what used to just be a couple a year. We've got the three Drag Race Results Ultimate Series events that uh, that Scott Lemon and his family put on at Huntsville. They're back for 2017. Peter and Kyle, who we'll talk to later, are now having three Spring Fling events across the country um, in 2017. You've got um, Kyle Riley and Wesley Washington putting on. They put on two excellent events um, in 2016. Uh, that's going to be three races next year between, uh, I believe it's two at Farmington and one at uh, MIR up in Maryland. All huge money. In addition, I said Darlington. Is that yeah, not what Dar- I said? No, you said Farmington, but it's okay. Oh, yeah, Darlington, Farmington. <laughs> what? It's somewhere over there in the Carolinas, right? <laughs> it's close enough. Darlington. Um, so I, I guess, like, why all of a sudden are there just events propping up? It used to be three weekends a year. Now it's literally nearly every other weekend that uh, and, and there's actually one I forgot the the track the racetrack at Huntsville I believe is going to put on a couple of 50 granders uh, similar to what they did just a few weeks ago on their own like it's everywhere why all of a sudden are, are all of these events popping up well you know it's a really good question obviously you know the, the easy answer is because they've been successful I mean you're seeing these events uh, going as planned or better and you know the the upstart events and established events all of them have been so successful you know why is that i think there's a lot of reasons uh, personally you know i'm i'm a fan of uh, racer promoted racers i think the racer knows what the racer wants and when they get on the promoter side they deliver that and i, I think that they um uh, tend to do the right thing uh, because they know they're not only they're good people, but they tend to do the right thing and, and what racers want because they got to stand in the lanes with you next week at that 50 grander that you're going to that they're not promoting. So uh, I, I believe that racer promoted races are one of the main reasons why these events are being so successful. And quite frankly, they're, they're offering you um, life changing money in some instances, um, you know matching some guy's yearly paycheck definitely matching what he's got or he or she's got in their race car to win one day and you pay yourself back so to speak so um the wow factor is is still there for some of these races and these these racers putting on great shows they're, they're doing an excellent job yeah i agree i think that that definitely plays a role i think i think you could attribute this boom in the in the huge money races to to a number of things I'll give a lot of credit to, to Peter and Kyle, uh, again, as Kyle Seipel that we'll talk to later in the episode. I feel like they weren't the first racers to put on a race, right? But I feel like they kind of laid the, the, the template because um, they had a really, really successful event um, almost from the get-go and have built upon it. And I think from a promoter standpoint, they made it look a lot easier than it is. I think we can both attest to that, having been on that side of it. Sure. Um, and then obviously they uh they earned the racers trust um and and kind of provided the avenue for more racers to put on those by racers for racers type of events i think 
in general, our economy's pretty strong, a lot stronger than it was five or ten years ago when there seemed to be a, a real decrease in these types of events. Um, yeah. So the most of the people in our shoes or in our situation, a lot of the people anyway, can afford to go to these races and not think a whole lot of it. Um, and I don't want to say that local racing isn't so good, so to speak, but I just feel like this is presented a viable option to, to local racing. I don't think local racing is as strong as it once was for a number of different reasons that we'll get into later. But I guess my biggest concern now with this stuff popping up everywhere is, are there too many of these races? Um, what do you think? Well, um, yeah, there, there probably, there probably is too many of them, Luke, um, because as a racer, a competitor, you want to give yourself every opportunity to, to be in the middle of these things and, and win them, compete at them. And I think sometimes as a racer, we might overextend ourselves a little bit trying to make them all. Also, racers are putting them on. They're our friends. They're our buddies. We're going to be in the lanes with them somewhere here in the near future. And you kind of got to answer for, hey, why, why didn't you, why didn't you come? Why, why weren't you there? And quite honestly, um, you know, for a guy in my position that, that works a, a seven to five every day and just lives a regular old life, um, it's really difficult. I want to be at all of them. So um, it's easy to say there's too many because I can't make them all. But uh, at, with the success they're having, uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's not too many. Yeah, I, I thought that there was too many two years ago. And they just continue to have success and continue to build. Um, so I guess just like time will tell. How can you know how many is too many till it happens? Um, yeah. and, and it's just supply and demand. You know what I mean? Right now, obviously, the demand is there because as these races pop up, like they're incredibly well supported for the most part. Um, and and in, in reality, if there's too many, that problem will fix itself. You know what I mean? The, sure. the, the better races, the better events, the better run events, the better structured events will survive and the others will get weeded out over time and, and like you talked about off air like some of that's not necessarily a, a reflection of the promoter some of that's just attrition um, yeah <clears throat> but I, I do think that in a, in a general sense competition's good because we're going to end up getting the best races out of it long, long term yeah and you know I, I tell people a lot um, that alright so you got ever how many 50 granders you got this year so when you talked about eight ten years ago whatever uh, when there was that kind of money you had to be there now uh if you're having some kind of conflict it's you it's you almost say you know what it's okay uh, there's another one in three weeks so mm -hmm. i'll just go to that one so the opportunity to go to the next one and that continuing to be as as opportunistic as it is now uh, I think it, it could definitely have an effect on some of these events and it won't be a, a failure on the promoters part It will just be attrition. It'll be some bad luck some bad timing some bad weather or what have you but uh, You know, it's definitely you, you can see where uh, we could lose some events in the next um, Couple of years or, or maybe shortly thereafter Yeah, I, I have to think that that's unavoidable, but again, I, I thought that two years ago. So who knows? Um, <laughs> uh, on a grander scale, are these events 
good for our sport? Let's speak short term, long term. First off, in the short term. Short term, I would say yes. Um, you know, I think uh, I think the opportunity that's out there for racers again to capture that life changing day, the the internet hoopla you get, the pats on the back. I think we're not always looking for the big payday. We're looking for the big exciting win and uh, obviously a great payday comes along with that and uh, so i believe yeah it's really good for the sport short term um you know long term i could have some negative effects i, I don't want to be uh, debbie downer here by, by any means I'm, I'm all for big buck racing it's uh, big buck racing whether it be on the bottom or the top is actually the reason i'm here getting to discuss this today so mm-hmm. uh, i'm definitely thankful for the amount of races that are out there but long term you know it, it if it if we continue to try to put out the the shock factor um the wow factor we're we're going to outpace ourselves it's just plain and simple simple economics i agree i, I mean short term like as a racer it's freaking awesome for me I, I mean, I legitimately, like, I have a ton of money, like a lot of racers, tied up in my current racing operation, and now, granted, that's my own fault, and that's everybody's own fault that, that has invested this much money in their racing operation, but for the first time, really, in probably, I won't say my whole career, but probably in the last decade, the purses are starting to catch up with the investment that a lot of a lot of these racers like myself have so you like you like to see that and from a racer standpoint i love to see that and i feel like i have a legitimate chance to win just about any event that i attend so the more races that i can attend that pay 25 50 100,000 like i like that i'd, I'd rather win a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> than ten thousand dollars you know what i mean if i'm gonna win yeah um yeah. so and and from both both you and I, as we mentioned earlier, are on the other side of the fence too. Like we're race promoters, so how can we say no? Like what we're doing, yeah, I feel like it's good for the sport. Um, <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it would be very um, self-contradictory to say otherwise. But at the same time, I'm with you. Um, Long term, I, I don't know because you can hear the other side of this argument and say, well this type of competition is killing local bracket racing and to me that kind of comes down to well what came first the chicken or the egg okay are local racers turning to these bigger events and choosing to race once or twice a month instead of you know for for big money rather than racing weekly at their home track are they doing that because their local program is struggling or are the local programs struggling because these races are attending the bigger events instead? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that there is, there's definitely an argument both ways. And in truth, I think there's probably a rightful argument um, both ways. So the bottom line to me is that today's race and market supports this movement. But if we don't find a way to keep and cultivate interest at the grassroots level then there's no feeder system for the rest of it okay like nobody's first event's gonna be a 50 grander you know um so our 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 sport or at least bracket racing as we know it i think would die a, a slow and sure death if the local scene was completely weeded out so i think that that's a challenge for all of us is to think about 
how to not only get new racers involved but keep racers involved that are not capable of spending the money that it takes to attend these races that are becoming more and more and more popular um and that's something i don't want to waste a ton of time on today but i would think that we will certainly dedicate at least one episode of this podcast to talking along those lines in the future absolutely so along those lines uh, we're going to get to talk to somebody that probably has a little more insight and then be able to offer us some more thoughts and uh, we're, we're going to be talking to him real soon yeah we're going to have uh, kyle seipel on shortly this is one topic where unlike the junior dragster episode i don't think we sound like complete gas bags because at least we <laughs> uh we have a little bit of uh of uh, personal experience but i uh, i look forward to getting some insights from kyle as well you know, I've been mad at you now for a little while. You said gas bags. I thought you said something else in that episode, so I, I forgive you. I'm glad I could clear the air. You running out of moves, now he's got you in a bind. I get all on the table, put it all on the line. Straight to lie, get behind. Straight to lie, get behind. Today is ultra important, super interesting, earth-moving interview of the day is brought to you by Racer Swag. Look, if you're listening to this podcast, you're all about sportsman drag racing. Racer Swag allows you to wear your passion with custom designed t-shirts, hoodies, caps, and more, all themed around sportsman drag racing. In addition to their own unique racing designs, Racer Swag is also the exclusive online home for BW Promotions merchandise. So that's where you can get all your B00 Take 00 shirts. Uh, you're all about that Wally design and more. Racer Swag also is the exclusive online home for This Is Bracket Racing Apparel. So that's where you can get your cheater shirts, caps, visors, everything This Is Bracket Racing. Plus, Racer Swag houses merchandise for a handful of racers, including Jed and myself. See all that they have to offer today by visiting racerswag.com. Today is a guy that's very influential in big buck bracket racing. He is the co-promoter of the well-known and highly respected spring fling events. We have Kyle, big nasty disciple with us today. Kyle, how you doing? What's going on, Luke and Jared? Appreciate you guys having me on. And I'll be the first to admit that when I first found out about this show a couple weeks ago, like like everybody else just online, I thought it was a a great, uh, great deal you guys are putting on. It's definitely a void in the market that needs to be filled, and there's no two better guys than than, uh, than you and Luke, my friend. Thank you, sir. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, I guess before we get too much further, Kyle, we got a, a handful of questions for you, but you guys just made a, a pretty significant announcement, you guys being uh, yourself and Peter Biondo with the uh, Spring Fling events for 2017. Why don't you... Uh, fill our listeners in a little bit if they hadn't heard to what you guys got going on yeah absolutely guys uh, we're going to uh, three events in 2017 uh, just a little uh, history in 2010 was our first event over at Bristol Motor Speedway we've been there for, for seven great years and then in 2013 we ventured out in my neck of the woods to Vegas and uh, you know Peter and I try to take as much time as possible to try to make these events as good as they possibly can be and it just seemed like the natural progression to go to go to a third event that the that the timing seemed right and, and we felt confident that that the that the market could bear it and so we you know us, us along with the racers the biggest concern at, 
at Bristol over the last, you know, we'd like to say we've been there for seven years is we always seem to get uh, a mediocre to bad forecast. And uh, uh, that being said, we never, we very rarely get much rain. We only get rain about once every four to five days, but the forecast would, would show, would show otherwise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is so worse start... than getting weather itself. Typically <laughs> yeah. way worse. Yeah, exactly. It uh, definitely uh, made for some, made for some uh, sleepless nights. So, you know, uh, Peter uh, took it upon himself to look at look at some 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 uh, previous history as far as weather forecasts go, and feel real confident that moving Bristol to end of September is going to give us uh, a lot better forecast. And that kind of left left a void out in the, the East Coast in the in the springtime. So we did uh, a, a lot of checking and met with a lot of different tracks and, and flew out there a couple different times and. A lot just seemed like like a natural fit to, for for our type of structure. It's a it's a track that uh, is uh, one of the premier tracks, and it's a it's a it's a family run track, and it just seemed like a like a uh, natural progression to go and to go to a third event uh, with a lot in the spring, Bristol in the fall, and then our fourth year at Vegas, which uh, last year was the first year that we uh, changed business models. Uh, we have uh, the Spring Fling Million, which Last year, uh, we had 270 competitors in 40 different states being our uh, inaugural year with the million-dollar uh, business model. So we're super excited about that. And as far as Galat and Bristol go, they're going to they're gonna mirror one another as far as the schedules and as far as the purses. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just briefly give you guys a scenario on that. Uh, Tuesday at, at both events will be the, the test and tune along with the 32-car uh, dragster shootout, which if you have a dragster or a door car, you're more than – then welcome to join in. Just the winner runner-up will get rolling chassis. Uh, on Wednesday, it'll be 15 grand to win. Thursday will be 20 grand to win. Friday will be 50 grand to win, and Saturday being 20 grand to win also. And uh, to race for the 20, 50, 20, the entry fee is going to be 690. And uh, like you said, both both events are going to mirror one another. And we're switching over to the eighth mile here in 2017. You know, Peter and I came up with the thousand-foot compromise back in 2010, and and uh, overall it was uh, very well received. But most important for us is, it seems like we've had to switch back and forth going from eighth mile to a thousand foot. And you know, we want to we want to give the product that we have on the flyer. So I think going the eighth mile is probably probably the right direction to go. That uh, if we have some weather or, or that sort of thing, that we could certainly race the eighth mile where the thousand foot there always seems to be more hurdles so that's super exciting guys but uh appreciate you uh asking about those events yes sir yeah so just to clarify i mean the the spring fling million in vegas is essentially unchanged from last year and the galat and bristol events will be basically the same event in two different locations you said 115 grander 220 granders and a 50 at each of those races Yep, exactly right. And uh, for the West Coasters, we do have one small change to from 2016 to 17. Is we're going to have three 20 granders, which are surrounding the the Friday Million Dollar event. So uh, in 2016, it was a 10 grand, 20 grand, 20 grand. But uh, we had such great support out west that uh, we're changing that to do uh, three 20 granders. Correct. Very cool. Very cool. Well, that is exciting. And uh, I personally, I don't know about you, Jed. I've never been to Galat, but I've heard nothing but fantastic things about it and reports from it so that seems like a great fit to uh, further extend your brand on the east coast yeah i've never been there but it, it does seem to match the the event 
quality that that's going to be there so um definitely looking forward to seeing how that goes i, I know it'll go well yeah appreciate it we're we like you say we're we are very slow and methodical with with any type of changes to our to our uh, business model and we definitely thought it was time to go to a third event and going to galat uh, the more and more we spoke to them and and especially after we went to the facility uh, peter and i went out there uh, about uh, six weeks ago and uh, we were uh, uh, very excited about the uh, about moving our moving our brand over there it's a, it's, a, it's a super nice facility for sure very cool in our uh, in our introduction to the the podcast today before we brought you on Kyle we talked a lot about the the influx of these huge money races and we credit at least some of that growth to to you and Peter like I've you guys weren't the first racers to put on an an event but i feel like you kind of laid out the blueprint in a lot of the way in a lot of ways and really started to establish the trust in racers um for that type of by racers for racers event what's your take now as these huge events start popping up seemingly every other weekend on the calendar um what's your take on the growing number of races and choices that racers have well it's a great question and i kind of have a unique perspective that uh since i live on the west coast and and my mom has actually been the drag strip manager out here in california for the past 30 years it, i've actually seen it more from a from a management side of things but also since i've been racing uh shoot since 1983 i think it is now that from a racer perspective uh, I, i've seen that side also so strictly strictly from my own eyes growing up uh you know there was no big money bracket racing on the West Coast. Very, I mean, there's one or two events that you can go to the whole year that would pay more than $1,500. So you're traditionally racing for $500 to $1,000, you know, once or twice a month. You basically uh, were racing at home to, to get yourself to be the best competitor possible. And then you kind of see how you stacked up against all, the, all your competitors in the area at the ET finals, whereas everybody else across country they, they big money bracket racing has been going on from the 80s 90s and, and and so forth but from from the west coast perspective there was absolutely no no, no big money bracket racing and like i say the et finals was, was pretty much the only race that you could go to to see how you stacked up about stacked up against everyone else in your area so in that division means, seven they they renamed the et finals for like a decade like the kyle seipel <laughs> benefit event right yeah <laughs> Well, you got to remember, Luke, that my mom always was the, the, the manager of the drag strip that I was participating for. So, and I lived at home till I was, I think, 20 years old. So, 31. Yeah, 30, <laughs> 20, 20 to 31. Exactly. But, so it was one of those deals where she's like, you better perform or else you're going to get kicked out of the house type of deal. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, it, uh, I, had, I had some added pressure as uh because uh, my mom, being the drag strip manager, she, you know, it's very important for her to win the team points. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the more rounds that I won, the better chance our family had of winning the team points. And uh, I kind of kid about that, but there is a lot of validity to that, to where uh, I, I uh, when I went back to the pits, I wanted, I wanted them to be proud of, proud of their son, that's for sure. Whatever so mission accomplished. Was, yeah, whatever they were doing was working, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, so I mean, with obviously, you know, you're on the promotion side as much or more now than you're on the racing side. But I mean, is it is it a good thing 
you know, are, are the races can they can they last is it is it good for our sport i think it's very similar to the real estate market you know you go through a buyer's market you go through a seller's market that it seems like seems to trend back and forth all the time and i think from a race strictly a racer's perspective i think right now is a is a very good time because you have an unlimited amount of races to choose from and uh you know uh I think that that's great for the racer because you could you could set out your schedule and say, okay, I'm I'm going to go to this this and this, and in in the meantime, I'm going to I'm going to practice my skills at the local track, and then then I'll be ready for these big dollar money races when they when I decide to go to whichever ones that I that I choose. You know, now from a promoter standpoint, you know it uh, it makes you sharp it makes you sharpen your pencil quite a bit. I mean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> As as you as you guys both know, I mean, you guys are in the promoting market also. It's just uh, every race that pops up, you know, seems to seems to probably pull anywhere from ten to thirty competitors that might have might have came to a spring fling are going to go to to uh, race race uh, race sex, let's call it. And and whenever there's a whenever there's a race popping up, uh, they're gonna they're gonna pull from you. So it just it just makes you work harder and. Uh, you know, it, uh, from my own perspective, this is this is the way that that I make my living. So, I spend nine or ten months on. Now we have three events to make these as strong as possible. Obviously, Emily, Peter, our whole Spring Fling staff help out with that also. But you know, this is this is the way that I pay the bills. So I have to, I got to make sure that uh, we have the best location, the best venues, and and give our racers the best experience possible. You know, it. Uh, sure. That's that's pretty. And you know. I have I have one other uh, perspective on that that you, you guys are asking, and then I follow sports a lot, and uh, I look at uh, the the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum, which is in Pasadena down down the LA area. Um, they have three sports teams that all play home games there. They have the NFL, they have the LA Rams, which I think they'll be there for another couple of years while they're building the stadium. They have they have eight eight home games. USC and UCLA also play six home games there, and then we're talking the same stadium. So we have, what is that? There's there's 20 home games between those those three three different teams, and typically I would say they average about 60,000 fans. Then at that same stadium, once a year they have the Rose Bowl, and the Rose Bowl uh, is only held one time a year, and they you know the the Rose Bowl committee focuses all year long on on promoting the game and and uh trying to make it the best they can and, and at that same stadium that's getting 60,000 fans a year the rose bowl typically gets about 110,000 fans a year so you know it uh it's it i always use that as motivation to say that you know uh try to i always try to look at, at other venues to, to to try to strengthen our, our our product and that sort of thing really hits home to where here we are we're, we're the spring fling we have three three different events in three different parts of the country and, and we come into town once a year and and uh, that's that's kind of what uh, i like to look at us possibly as being the rose bowl coming into uh, these uh these these three different cities yeah very good perspective there good good answer um but something i always like to talk about anytime i'm with you and, and we're with other people but you know the spring fling brand is obviously one of the most recognizable brands in the racing that we do right now and 
<clears throat> you know, it almost ended, Kyle, um, after one event. It was, uh, as we talked about, terrible weather forecast that never really come to fruition. But it was it was not a stellar beginning for you and Peter, and no fault of yours. Tell us what caused you guys to to continue with the event and moving forward with it after, you know, really a, a pretty substantial loss in year one. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was in 2010. You know, uh, we were very, very green. We probably spent a whole two to three months preparing for the event. To be quite honest with you, you know, we we both had we both had daytime jobs, and, and we pretty much just spent the extra hours that we had nighttime to 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 try to create uh, the Bristol Spring Fling there in 2010. And, and uh, that being said, we, we definitely weren't the most prepared. I think we had 150 to 160 cars, and uh, here we are seven years later. But uh, I guess what I'm getting at is we had 150, 150 to 160 cars, and, and Peter and I and our whole staff were running around like we had 800 cars because we were so unprepared. It was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was probably – a blessing in disguise we only had 150 cars to be quite honest with you we had we had a very bad forecast we certainly did i think it was uh 70 to 80 percent uh, chance of rain each day and uh it uh yeah i think so yeah yeah it uh, so and the race went off and oddly enough 70 80 percent chance of rain each day we had no rain at all and <laughs> so we got we got we got four events done and and uh I'll I'll never forget this. You know, Peter and I are taking down the banners. Here it is, a uh, uh, Sunday night. Uh, I'm my parents flew out there with me to try to help with the event because they knew that, that that we probably needed it uh, from everything that I told them going in. And uh, <laughs> we're driving back to Charlotte. You know, uh, well, anyways, prior to driving back to Charlotte, uh, we're taking down the banners. And Peter looked at me. He goes, "You think we're going to really need these banners? Because we're probably never going to have another race again." And uh, that was the truth. I mean, sure. we didn't. We didn't know what was going to happen uh, uh, in 2011, let, let alone 2017. And, uh, so, anyways, uh, it, it was a it was a long ride back to the airport. I had a I had a red eye that, with my parents that so I could get back to work Monday morning. And uh, uh, but so to answer your question, you know, uh, so we left there with a very bitter taste in our mouth. We had quite honestly, we didn't know if we made money. We didn't know if we lost money. Uh, we were just happy to get through the event, and then we we lost a pretty substantial amount of money year one and and by the time we had that information the phone kept ringing uh you, you guys can do another race next year we had we had a great time you know you you, you guys uh, put on a really good event and uh and those phone calls probably spurred us on uh to, to trying it one more year you know uh um uh, peter's a very very organized uh person and uh he made sure that the that the, the issues we had in 2010 would never happen in 2011. And uh, uh, we, we, were, we were much more prepared and, uh, you know, the racers supported it. Uh, and here we are seven years later. It, uh, it's pretty pretty cool stuff at, at this point. Very cool. Yeah, that is that is a cool story. And I think, at least on some level, um, Jared and I and everybody that's ever attempted to put on an event can uh, – relate to to that story and 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 those feelings that I, I told jed off air earlier that uh the two weekends of the year that are the most stressful for me are not the two week the weekends that i get to strap on the helmet <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah definitely being on that side of the pay window gives you a whole new respect for uh, for what goes into the the promotion and management side um earlier this season you guys had true start 
in place at the Spring Fling Vegas for the first, at least the first major event that uh, that was contested under the True Start format. This was a brainchild of, of you and Pete, and I have little doubt that it will eventually become the standard upon which all um, bracket races and, and probably sportsman racing in general is contested. First, um, just because y- you can explain it much better than I can, um, for our listeners that are living under a rock, so to speak, tell us how the system works. Sure, sure, absolutely, guys. Uh, basically, True Start gives both drivers, regardless of, of your dial-in, the same opportunity or the equal chance of redlining, where uh, in uh, races without True Start, the first red light was always the loser. So let's take a scenario where uh, Jared's dialed 570 in Big Red and, and uh, Luke's dialed 470 in, in Dragster. Well, uh, if Jared leaves first, being the slower car, if he happens to red light, his red light won't come on. His On his side of the tree, it works just like it normally does. It'll go yellow, 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 green, regardless if he has a red or green light. Now, as a side note, there's been a lot of people ask us, why do you? Have, why is the green light coming on if you truly didn't have a, a green? Well, two reasons. Obviously, we can't have it go red because it defeats the whole purpose. But Peter and I both felt that if we had the green light come on, it would give that slower driver a perspective as far as what his reaction time is, is his car leaving as it as the green light comes on, as opposed to just hanging the yellow, you kind of lose that perspective. So Yeah, anyways, and if you hang the yellow, I'm going to bump up. So you can't do yeah, that. Right. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, all right, Jared leaves first. He's fourth thou red. He's going to have a green light. Luke leaves second. Luke is five thou red. His side of the tree is going to show a red light just like it always has. Uh, and then uh, the scoreboard will illuminate the wind light with the person that uh, that had uh, the green light. So uh, I'm probably doing a bad job of explaining, but it basically gives an equal opportunity of both drivers red lighting, but the tree will not show a red or green till both cars take off and then the scoreboard will show the wind line yeah no i think i'm on i've been pretty vocal on record as saying that i think it's a great addition and it's probably uh in, in the effort of fairness one of the best um implements we've had in our sport in a long time what what brought on the idea what spurred you guys to to go forward with this well it's a great question you know peter and i had never really talked about it before this this uh, scenario I'm going to explain. So at, at Vegas in 2015, uh, we had a pair take off, and, and it was a double red light. And uh, the faster car had a it – was, it was real red, like uh, 30 or 40 thousandths red, and the uh, slower car was just a couple thousandths red. And, and Peter said, you know, if we could somehow change that, that seems like that, that that's something that should have been changed a long time ago. And I said, you know, it's funny you mention that because I've been thinking about this for a long time also. And, and – and, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so that being said, that was uh, in April of 2015. So uh, we made a note of it and, and uh, said, well, you know, I'm going to get a hold of Brockmeyer later in the year when we're, when we're done with the race at Bristol and, and, and see what we can figure out. So uh, we had a meeting with Bob Brockmeyer at uh, Pomona in uh, late October, early November of 2015 and explained to him that what we would like, like to be, like to, to try. And uh, he was very receptive and, uh, I think years back, uh, decades ago, uh, even, he had actually tried this with Vandermeer, oddly enough. So uh, he knew exactly what the what we were looking for, and uh, you know, uh, it took him hundreds of hours, quite honestly, to get it programmed to way that we wanted it, as far as the green light coming on in the slower lane and, and, and all that sort of thing. And 
And uh, uh, Peter and I felt strong enough about it that, uh, you know, it was certainly a gamble, but we felt that we wanted to debut it at the biggest race that we've ever had because we felt that strongly about it. And uh, so we did, debuted it in April of 2016 this year at Vegas, and uh, um, it was very well received. Uh, uh, um, people, people were... Uh, People liked it quite a bit, and so we decided to, to use it at Bristol in May and, and got the, the same type of reception. And then since then, uh, I think around, uh, it's been about two months now that Brock Meyer has, uh, has made it available to, to, to every drag strip. And I think going into 2017, he has about 14 drag strips signed up. So that's, that's pretty cool to see. You know, uh, uh, most people, you know, have, don't like to change, first of all. And, and second of all, they're going to probably vote for whatever is is gonna uh, have, give them a better chance of winning so but that being said you know um, uh, I think that a lot of racers realize that that this is the way it should have been for a long time when timing systems originally began there was no way to show a double red light when the slower car red lit the the quicker cars uh, the, the quicker car would get a green light regardless so now with with, with technology three four decades later it, it certainly is possible and uh, but yeah it, it's exciting to see you know like you say it was it was a gamble for peter and i to debut it at, at, at the biggest race that that we've ever promoted but we felt that strong about it and uh you know months later we have quite a few tracks signed up uh bob uh, brockmeyer does and, and it's a it's exciting to see it progress for sure yeah that's got to be extremely gratifying to actually make a a change so significant to the, the the fairness and competition level across our sport and just like you like I think for the most part we're, we're all creatures of habit and we all kind of resist change but to me the only vocal um, uh, people against true start so to speak are the racers that are in faster cars that just you know right. enjoy having that advantage which is yep. like you say very antiquated and really only came about because the systems of yesteryear were not capable of disseminating any type of difference um and then the the the, the other common complaint i hear is just like you had alluded to earlier well i leave first as a slower car my light turns green and then i'm red well obviously as you explained like it has to happen that way and like i've heard you tell somebody before it's no different than if you're if i'm driving a, a 650 car against a 480 dragster at some point before i get to half track i'm either gonna spin around and look at the christmas tree or look up at my scoreboard to see if my opponent went red exactly so the, <laughs> the exact same thing is true well if his wind light's on at that point then i realized well obviously i left too soon it's really mm. no different and and i just think um, it just levels the playing field because that's the idea behind bracket racing. The guy in the in the 750 uh, pickup truck is not supposed to be at a disadvantage to the 450 dragster in any way. So I feel like this just adds to that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And you know, they, whatever it's worth, Peter and I feel that uh, you know cars are getting faster and faster, and, and and there's a reason for that. The cars seem to be more consistent, and uh, you want to be in control of the race, and maybe with a small change like this that might slowly slow the the progression of, of everybody wanting to build a faster car might slow down a tiny bit tiny bit which in you know is going to help control cost to some extent yeah, it, right mm -hmm. exactly it's going to it's going to control cost to 
to some extent. So, I mean, that, that, that was a very, very small piece of the puzzle, but that's something when Peter and I talked about this from the inception, that if we could, if this could get any type of legs, that, it, I mean, people are always going to want to have the faster car. People want to go fast. It's fun to go fast. You're still in control of the race. Uh, I can't see people not, not wanting to go fast because of this very small change in the starting system that in, uh, you know, top bulb bracket racing, one and a half, two percent of the cars down the track, you're going to see a change. But, uh, you know, as 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 Peter's always told me, if, if we're if we have a, a double red light in the final of the Spring Fling Million, the, and and the slower car happens to be the winner, if it only happens one or two percent of the time, and it happened to be at the biggest final of of a race that 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 we put on, then then something needs to be changed. So, <laughs> yeah, really good points, Kyle. Working fairly closely with you in the Spring Fling events, one of the things that that I admire so much about your advance is the manufacturer support. You know, it, it's really is unparalleled. And, you know, I'm well aware of the time and energy it takes to try to put those programs together. What's the secret to getting and keeping those companies involved in your events at such an important level? Well, Peter and I were very fortunate because we've been, we've been racing, uh, I don't know, but close to, close to three decades now. So before we got in the race promotion business, uh, similar to, to you and Luke, for that matter, we, we, we had some, some very strong relationships and ties to the manufacturer market. So when we decided to, to do our first event, once again, in 2010 at Bristol, uh, when we gave the proposals to manufacturers, they were very receptive because we've had a report them for, for a long time. And, and, and uh, that certainly makes a difference to kind of get your, get your foot in the door. And then, you know, uh, from that point, it's just a matter of giving manufacturers uh, ROI on on what they're giving you. You know, uh, uh, we very rarely get any type of monetary support. We just get product from the from the manufacturers, which makes the more manufacturer support we have, the more things we can give away, which is a, a, a better chance of somebody that loses early can can take something home with them uh, that is uh, that is of any significance. And uh, um, so. The manufacturers certainly see that that from you know at this point that they're getting a very good ROI and, and, and we've been very fortunate we've been doing events for seven years now we've only had three manufacturers pull out uh, within that seven years and, and two of the three uh, were manufacturers that went bankrupt and uh, so we're we we're very very lucky and uh, we 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 and we and, and we never take it for granted you know, we we try to give them a. Uh, as much uh, uh, value for the dollar as possible as to our social media and and uh, making sure that uh, on on the live feed that they get plenty of mentions and that sort of thing. But um, you know it, we've been we've been very very lucky to uh, ha- to to get our foot in the door, <clears throat> and then uh, racers racers have supported us, which is, has made it that much easier for for us to, to keep the manufacturers. Because when you have larger car counts, uh, you know it. it Peter and I switched, uh, I think it's been four to five years ago now, to where a, uh, a car can only go down the track one time. And when manu- uh, so if we have 400 entries, we truly have 400 cars going down the track where some of our competitors, uh, like Jared Pennington, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you have 400 entries, you might only have 300 cars, let's say, which is completely fine. I, I totally understand that business model. But from a manufacturer perspective, uh, you know, uh, they're getting more eyes on that product because there's actually more cars going on that track. And I, I, I think that, that the manufacturers see that side of it, too. Sure. Yeah. Kyle, 
this is probably well this has definitely gone a little bit longer than we intended but I have I'm confident that our listeners are still engaged because quite honestly I think the conversation has been fascinating and I have one more question for you that I just can't leave off um, just from a, a personal standpoint because I love to pick the brains of successful people and like I'm a guy I like to read biographies and autobiographies and things like that so my my last question you're obviously an incredibly accomplished racer in your own right like what 20 some odd division championships like that's unbelievable and I don't mean to belittle your career behind the wheel when I ask this question but Peter Biondo is your partner and he's your longtime friend you're probably closer to him than anyone outside of his family he's generally regarded as one of if not the best to ever strap on a helmet could you give us one trait of Peter's that you think plays the biggest role in his on-track success as well as you know him? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, uh, he's had seven world championships. We're the same age. He's actually one month, one month older. So I always remember his age. He's 45 years old. He's won seven world championships. So that, that speaks volumes. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've had some, some friends ask me, do you guys, uh, some, some friends of mine, you and Peter have been best friends for over 20 years and, and what, what makes him tick, you know, and, and, uh, Obviously, he's he's superb with weather, superb at the starting line, superb at the finish line. He's very few are are better than him at that. But I, I I think the best way that I could sum it up is that he can come up with a game plan. Uh, let's say that let's say we're at a national event and we have all night to strategize about his next his competitor the next day, and we'll come up with a game plan. And uh, uh, the the difference with Peter is that. Most people, including myself, when they go down the track and they have a game plan, I can stick to that game plan and, 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 and I can't alter it. Well, Peter has a sixth sense that when he goes down the track, he can alter his game plan. And nine times out of ten, when he alters it, he makes the correct decision. And I'm not sure exactly how he does it, but it's a sixth sense that, that you know, uh, Jared and I can't attest to, but Luke probably can because it's the same, same – uh, well said. <laughs> You're in the same category as Peter, but I'm telling you, that's probably the main thing that I, I always can go back to is that uh, he could alter his plan going down the track, no matter what plan that, like you say, him and I might strategize about it, and he can alter it, and I'll be damned. I'll, he'll come back, and he'll show me the slip, and I'll say, well, that wasn't the plan. He goes, yeah, but it just didn't feel right. You know, it, it, I was I was too far ahead of him, and and. and and so I altered the plan, and, and, and sure enough, he makes the right decision. And that, you know, I would say that that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen in my 20 years of knowing him, that, uh, that uh, he's just amazing, man. It truly is. That's a very cool perspective from the inside. Um, Kyle, we like to close um, these interviews, and, and listeners, we kind of dropped the ball on the first couple episodes. We left out our favorite part of the interviews. Um a rapid fire segment what we've got is just a handful of questions for kyle that'll go real quick uh simple one sentence one word answers and this could come from anywhere we're going to be a little bit off the cuff so jed you want to start things off yeah and this is kind of a goofy one but you're you're a left coaster so i gotta know is it flat bill or rounded bill <laughs> you know uh it's like uh, skinny ties and fat ties they all kind of fade in and out but right now it's definitely the flat bill Okay. Hmm. All right. I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think I'm being too revealing here when I say that you're into the the nightlife scene. You you like to have a good time. So, 
Vegas or Atlantic City, or is there another underrated spot that uh, that you'd prefer? No, Vegas. Uh, I've been to both. Have a great time at both, but Vegas, hands down, that that is a one of a kind city. All right, Kyle. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. And I'll just leave it at that. It's a one of a kind. <laughs> um, favorite movie, Kyle. Well, Jeff Verde just won million dollar races on both coasts i can't i can't say anything but top gun nice <laughs> well done uh big nasty you are a big uh, warriors fan the dubs what uh what team is the biggest threat to that dream team they've assembled out there in oakland well early on it's the clippers but i would say uh, come on it's, it's not gotta, the clippers. it's gotta be cleveland it's gotta be cleveland uh Anybody with with LeBron James on the team, uh, uh, it's definitely Cleveland Cavaliers uh, for sure. Fair enough. And we'll circle this around and bring it back into uh, our realm just a little bit. In all your years at the racetrack, is there one racing-related quote that stands out in your mind as your favorite? One racing-related quote. Uh, you know... Uh, I don't know. I think probably my dad, I was telling my dad that I was thinking about branching out and racing for, for other, for other teams. Let's say, uh, you know, he didn't have the, the financial backing for me to, you know, I was a young teenager and I, I thought I could be a Don Garbus. But anyways, uh, he, he, you know, I explained to him that, that I might want to go another direction. And he just turned to me and said, one man's meat is another man's poison. <laughs> <laughs> The, the fatherly wisdom disciple. Yeah, and that's coming from a guy that's bracket raced the same car since 1958. So, and he knows that every time down the track it costs him eleven dollars and twelve cents. So you got to kind of, you got to kind of know the the backstory there. But yeah, uh, that's Ted's the man. No, Alvin, you have no argument here. <laughs> All right, well, Kyle, um, that wraps up our episode three and. I look into big buck bracket racing again want to thank you so much for taking some time to join us um your insight and your your knowledge of what matters in the sport was uh, very very helpful and um i'm sure the listeners have thoroughly enjoyed it as have i well appreciate it guys and like i said from the get-go I, I wish you guys the best and i think that something like this has been needed for a very long time and you guys are are uh filling a void so i certainly wish you guys the best on this adventure for sure thank you kyle we appreciate it thanks bud have a great one all right you guys too this episode of the sportsman drag racing podcast is brought to you by racing rvs now, I'm sure at this point you've at least heard of racing RVs. The Dayton, Ohio-based company is a big part of my own racing program. Racing RVs has been the major marketing partner on my Supergas Corvette for three years and counting. Racing RVs is also the title right sponsor of NHRA Top Dragster and Top Sportsman, and the company is heavily involved in sportsman drag racing on all levels. Racing RVs own Joe Fisher, his wife, his father, his sons, they all compete in Top Dragster, Top Sportsman, Super Comp, and Super Gas. They have for years. So I would assume that if and when you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, you'd give them a call, if for no other reason than because they support our, 
our sport more than any other dealer. When you call Joe and the staff at Racing RVs, that's when you'll be really impressed. See, he's a racer, so he understands your budget constraints and your wants and needs. Racing RVs offers in-house financing. They take trade-ins. They do consignments. They've got new and used RVs of all makes, models, sizes, and price ranges. Whatever your needs are, I'd be willing to bet that Racing RVs can make it happen. So, if you're in the market for a new or used RV or trailer, give Racing RVs a shot. You won't be disappointed. Call them at 419-236-1328 or visit online at RacingRVs.com. Again, that's 419-236-1328 or online at RacingRVs.com. All right, I'd like to say thanks again to our guest, Kyle Seipel, for joining us, and thanks to each of you for listening. Uh, if you missed any portion of our three-episode launch last week, go back and check those episodes out wherever you found this podcast. Yeah, our goal, Luke, is to release a new podcast every week of the calendar year. So, guys, stay tuned for plenty of great content going forward. And, again, as we've said previous episodes, be sure to subscribe to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, whatever. We're on there, so go subscribe. Yeah, and do us a favor wherever it is that you're finding this podcast. Rate us and review us if you liked it. If you didn't like it, let us know. See how we can get better. But if you liked it, give us a rating, give us a review. That's how we move up in the, in the rankings so that more people can find us and enjoy the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. Absolutely. And finally, folks, be sure to join the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast fan page on Facebook to interact and become part of the conversation. This week, as we alluded to earlier, we're challenging our listeners to pick their all-state team so we can debate the areas that truly house the toughest competition. Get on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page and check it out today. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again. 
on December the 8th.